Welcome to Donnacloney Parish Podcast. If you want to know more information about the parish, how to support us, or for other social media, please go to www.donnacloneyparish.co.uk. Thank you. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for what we've been learning through this small series in Romans 8. Uh, Lord, thank you. You've told us that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray as we become maybe worried, pray, Lord, maybe burdened by our own sinfulness. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to see that you will never leave us or forsake us when we're in Christ. May that be stamped in our hearts this evening. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, when I was a little boy, many, 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 many years ago now, uh, 49 years ago, uh, when I was growing up in Belfast, there was a shop that if you're older than 35, you'll know it. If you're under than 35, you probably won't remember it. You probably heard your parents talking about it. Andersons and Macaulay. Anybody been there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hands up. All the Andersons Macaulays. It was kind of like the Victoria Centre of its day. It was brilliant. And my mum used to love going there. She loved going and buying clothes and curtains, whatever what she'd love to go and get that. And it used to bore me to tears. I loved all the sights. I loved all the colours. But one thing you'll know about me, and I'm sure you can guess, you've known me for 10 years now, but you could probably guess what I would have done in Anderson Macaulay, I was one of those kids that just wandered off. Just wandered, wandered all over the place and got lost from a mum. And of course, what do you do when you're about three or four and you wander off and you get lost? What do you do? I started bawling. And this lovely shop attendant came to me, brought me down to the front desk, or I can't remember, but all I remember is the radio round the whole shop saying, will the mother or father of Brian Martin please come to the till? And she was able to come down. But in the midst of it, what I remember most about getting lost is the shop attendant gave me three sweets. And so the next time I went down to McCall, Anderson McCauley, do you know what I tried to do? I tried to go and get lost. I was thinking I was going to get the three sweets again. It never worked out like that. But that fear of getting separated, I can honestly, you know, three sweets didn't put pay to me being separated from a mummy thinking I'm going to be living in this shop the rest of my life. Uh, that fear of being separated, if it's ever happened to you, you'll know it. And we all have that fear, don't we? Isn't that why we call, carry around these things? Fear of missing out on anything? Fear of not getting a call? Fear of uh, not being got to? We fear missing out. And we're always on Facebook thinking we're going to miss out something that somebody else does. My family are forever telling me off being on the phone, either sending messages or on Facebook or whatever. And we're always looking at the news in case we miss out. Well, Paul wrote this, well, he wrote Romans, but this very bit of Romans, he wrote it to remind Christians that this will never happen between them and God. He wants us to have a spirit-filled, Christ-centered assurance that can, nothing can separate us from God ever. Just look at verse 31. Lisa read it very well for us this evening. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
What then shall we say in response to these things? That's a, that's a massive, so if that's true, then this is true. So what Paul is saying here is he's written right the way from Romans 1 through uh, Romans 7, now into the midst of uh, chapter 8. And then he says, so if that's all true, then you can know this to be true. And he says, what then shall we respond to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So if God is for us, who can separate us from God? What can be against us? Who can be against us? So look, if you're a Christian here tonight, you can be 100% sure, 100% sure that God is for you, 100% of the time. He loves you. And those who know their Bibles will know just how amazing that is. In fact, anybody who knows themselves will know how amazing that is. Because you know your heart and my heart isn't pure. And we know in our sin that God has every right to wash his hands of us and just leave us. Some of the most frightening words we read in the Bible is when God says, as he says in Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 31, or Ezekiel chapter 5, verse 8, I am against you. If you're not a Christian, if you're watching here or you're here tonight, thank you for being here because in your sin, do you realize that God is against you? But that's one half of the good news of Christianity. Because God can go from being against you to being for you. You know, look at this. And how for you is God for you if you're a Christian? Look at verse 32 if you've got a Bible in front of you. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? I think that many of us have a sneaking doubt that God isn't for us at all. And that fear goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve and the snake. You know, you can't believe God's word. You can't trust it. But do you know how God couldn't, have, you know God couldn't have done more to prove to us that nothing could be further than truth? He has emptied heaven of the most precious thing, his son Jesus. And in giving us Jesus to die on the cross, God has given us the best thing, the best person he could ever give us. And the cross proves God's generosity. And having given his only son, verse 32, how could he fail us give us all the things that we need? Everything we need to get us into heaven. If you want to know how much God is for you, just look to the cross. See God's love and generosity. But... But there are two things in our lives that make us doubt God is for us. The first thing is our continued sinfulness. And the fact that actually in this world we suffer. See, Christians, even though they've given their life to Christ, still sin. And even though they've given their life to Christ, they still suffer. And so having stated God is for us, verse 31, Paul makes three applications, which um, I'm going to be looking at tonight. So the first point is this. No sin can separate us from God's love in Christ. I, I don't know how popular they are now, but um, maybe Judge Rinder's kind of ruined them all. 
But courtroom dramas used to be all the rage. My mum and dad used to love watching them, used to bore me to tears. But Paul brings us in verses 33 to 34, brings us into a courtroom, a heavenly courtroom. Look at verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those who God has chosen? Who will bring any charge against, say, me, Brian Martin? And in heaven's court, this voice jumps up and says, actually, I will. It's the voice of the accuser. It's the voice of the devil. And he says to God, it's total madness that you have said that Brian Martin is righteous. Totally mad. Don't you know what he thought of, what he said to Lisa this morning? Don't you know what he said to Joel and Tom and Elijah? Don't you know the thoughts that were in his head? Everyone knows he's a sinner. And then the devil reads out a list of my sins and God says, yep. Every charge, devil, you've said of Brian Martin is true. But look at my son Jesus, verse 34. My son Jesus died for Brian's sins. More than that, verse 34, Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. And now, verse 34, he's at my right hand, interceding for Brian. Look, he's still got the scars on his hands to prove it. How dare you accuse Brian of this? Get out. You see, now that you're in Christ, every sin that the devil throws at you, you're like Teflon, it'll never stick. And so that truth of Romans 8 verse 1 is gloriously true. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're a Christian and we continue to sin, don't we? Sometimes we do it mistakenly. Sometimes we do it blatantly. But that sin can never separate us from God's love. Now that's not a truth. That truth isn't a carte blanche to go and sin. No. But it is a great reassurance when I do sin. I wonder do you ever think to yourself, yes, God is loving and forgiving. But look what I've gone and done again. How can he forgive me this time? No. No, no sins can separate us from God's love. And we'll hear tonight in the hall at the end of the service as we listen to before the throne of God, we'll hear these words. Maybe you'll be able to play them on YouTube at the end of the service. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. No sin can separate us from God's love. And no suffering can separate us from God's love. As we read on, we'll see that Paul continues to ask questions of us. Have a look at verse 35. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I wonder if you heard the story about a man from Belfast driving around the countryside when his car hit a, 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 a car towing a horse box. And a few months later, the same man tried to collect compensation from his injuries. And the insurance company's lawyer said to him, how is it that you're now trying to claim for an accident back then? According to the police report, you said you were not hurt. Look, said the man. 
I was lying in the road in agony. And I heard that someone, from someone that the horse's leg had been broken. And the next thing, all I know is the farmer comes out with a, and shoots the horse dead. And then he turns to me and he asks me, are you all right? Well, the truth is, many times as Christians, we're not all right. We suffer. We suffer for being Christians. And isn't verse 35 a clear description of what's happening to our brothers and sisters throughout the world today? Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Did anybody watch the video this morning when we were showing Beirut? Yeah. Doesn't that explain what's going on right there? No food, no clothes. Trouble, hardship. These people just going about their own world. In fact, having a hard time with the economy before the, bo- the, 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 the hole of the, the key exploded. What about northern Nigeria? This is what's going on for them. That's why we pray for the persecuted church. And Paul wants to know that while the persecution of the church is terrible, it's not new. And that's why in verse 36, he quotes from Psalm uh, 44. That's why that little bit, as it is written, for your sake we face de- death all day long. We're considered a sheep to be slaughtered. That's a, a psalm while Israel was in exile at a time, verse 36, where for God's sake Israel was being killed. Christians have, Christians are, Christians will always suffer for God's sake. But when it happens, it's not a sign that God has left them. And that evil is one. No, it's the opposite. Look at verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. No, God actually uses all these things to make us more than conquerors. Far from separating us from God's love, God uses suffering to make us super conquerors. In fact, Paul makes up a a special word here, hyper conquerors. Think of it like this. A clay pot sitting in the sun will still say a clay pot. It has to go through the furnace to become porcelain. Now, I don't know what type of suffering you may be going through. But if you're going through suffering for being a Christian, it, it, it might be not being in the in crowd or might mean breaking off a romantic relationship with somebody who's not a Christian. It may make losing out on a promotion when we refuse to, to live for work. But like no suffering can ever separate us from the love of Christ. Please hear these words. And let's pray for those, those verses for suffering Christians. But look, even if sin or suffering can't separate me from God's love, what if something else can? Well, here's our last point tonight. Nothing, nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ. Because God's love is for us, every Christian can be sure of verse 38 and 39, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
And Paul uses opposites to show us that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. You ever in Christ Jesus? Did you see that? The first opposite. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, death with all its fears of the unknown, life with all its uncertainties and loneliness. They can't separate us from God's love. Angels or demons. No spiritual force can separate us from God's love. Neither the present, however bad things are for you right now, nor height, nor depth. That's heaven and hell. They can't separate us from God's love. And then just in case we think of anything else, Paul throws in verse 39. Nor anything else in all creation. That kind of sums up everything, doesn't it? That's a kind of catch-all phrase. Nor anything else in all creation can't separate you from God's love. Nothing, nothing can separate us from God's love. Even myself. Because here's the truth, I'm prone to wander. Prone to forget. But I can't wander off so far to separate myself from him and his love for me. I don't know if you've ever read this book. I'm just going to show it to the camera, just so they get a wee first look. It's called Killing, Killing Fields, Living Fields by uh, a missionary who was out in Cambodia. That's just to the right-hand side of where the Maclean's are in Thailand. Uh, it's written by Don Cormack. Um, uh, Elizabeth Elliot thinks, says this book stunned me. Such heroism, such uncompromising faithfulness. It's the story of the Cambodian church. Uh, and the bit that really struck me is the story of uh, a Christian teacher and his family. Uh, and it's through the area uh, of the time of the Khmer Rouge and explains a little bit about the Khmer Rouge and what the Christians there had to face while we in the West turned a blind eye. And I want you to show how nothing can separate us from the love of God. I want to just share this story if I can. I'm just going to read this story. Unmistakably, through the tremendous glare of the early afternoon sun and his own lightheadedness from the backbreaking labour, him knew that the youthful black-clad Khmer Rouge soldiers now heading across the field were coming for him this time. Leaning weakly against his hope for support, he watched their easy, menacing, unhurried pace along the padded embankment. His throat felt dry, an uncontrolling fluttering gripped his bowels and his knees threatened to buckle beneath him, but he remained still. Across the landscape, eerily, not a soul moved except for Anka's Black Reapers, that's the Khmer Rouge. They seem, the scene resembles some bizarre party game of statues in which each hapless player strained every muscle to render himself immovable, invisible. Haim's entire family was rounded up that afternoon. They were the, the bad blood, the enemies of the glorious revolution. They were Christians. The family spent a sleepless night comforting one another and praying for each other as they lay bound together in the dewy grass beneath a stand of friendly trees. Next morning, the teenage soldiers returned and led them from their Gethsemane to their place of execution to the nearby Yil Somlap, the killing fields. The place was grim indeed and bore many gruesome signs of a place of execution. The family were ordered to dig a large grave for themselves. Then consenting to Haim's request for a moment to prepare themselves for death, father, mother and children, hands linked, knelt together around the gaping pit. With loud cries to God, Haim began exhorting both the Khmer Rouge and all those looking on from afar to repent and believe the gospel. Then in panic, one of Haim's young sons leapt to his feet, bolted into the surrounding bush and disappeared. 
Haim jumped up and with amazing coolness and authority prevailed on the Khmer Rouge not to pursue the lad, but allowed him to call the boy back. He pleaded with his son. What comparison, my son, stealing a few more days of life in the wilderness, a fugitive, wretched and alone, to joining your family here momentarily around this grave, but soon around the throne of God, free forever in paradise. After a few tense minutes, the bushes parted, and the lad weeping walked slowly back to his place with the kneeling family. Now we're ready to go, Haim told the Khmer Rouge. But by this time, there was not a soldier standing there who had the heart to raise his hoe to deliver the death blow on the backs of these noble heads. Ultimately, this had to be done by the Khmer Rouge commune chief who had not witnessed or heard these things. But few of those watching doubted that as each of the Christians' bodies toppled silently into the earthen pit which the victims themselves had prepared, their souls soared heavenward to a place prepared by their Lord. The rapid spread of news such as this, of certain Christians boldly bearing witness to the Lord in death, was gossiped about by the countryside. Eventually these reports were brought across to the refuge camps in Thailand, and not always by Christians, but by typical Cambodians, who until then had despised Jesus. What would make a father call back his son to martyrdom? What would make a son obey his father if he knew what his fate was? Only a deep personal assurance of the unbreakable love of God. A deep assurance that says nothing, nothing, nothing can separate me from God's love. Now if him and his family can have that kneeling at the grave... So can we as we start going back to church, as we go to school, as we go to work, as we begin a meeting together. See, from this passage, we can see that if I'm a Christian, God is always for me. God is for me. More than that, when we sin this week, let's repent and let's say God is for me. And be sure that my sin has in no way lessened God's love for me. And as we suffer for Christ this week, let's say to ourselves, God is for me. You see, Christian, nothing, nothing, nothing can separate you from God's love this week or ever. Let's take a moment of quiet to reflect on that. And then we're going to pray together. Praise you, our God, that we can know that you're for us. And because you're for us, who can be against us? We praise you that we can be certain of this because you've already given us the best, the greatest gift of all, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you that you did not spare your own Son, that you sent him to die for us when we were still sinners. And if you did that for us when we were rebels, now that we're your children, adopted by faith, in Jesus Christ, we can be certain that you will graciously give, give us everything we need to make it to heaven. And we praise you, merciful Father, that you will not condemn us who are trusting in Jesus. 
that though our conscience and the devil accuse us of doing things that should make us guilty in your sight, we can know for certain that we've been accepted by you because Jesus has already paid the penalty of our sin on the cross. How grateful we are that this is true because we do still struggle with sin. We confess that even today we've sinned against you in so many ways by our thoughts, our words, our actions. Some we're aware of, some we're unaware of. We ask for your forgiveness now, turning again from the sin that we so easily entangles us and pleading for the grace we need to fight against the world, our own sinful nature and the devil, and to resist temptation. And Lord, we rejoice to know that whatever happens, you will not stop loving those who are your children because you've promised that the pressures and distresses of life will not separate us from your love, nor will persecution or a lack of life's basic provisions or the risk of death, not even that, or anything else on earth or in the spiritual realm, nor our present circumstances or anything future circumstance. No person, no sin, no circumstance can stop you from loving us. Open our eyes to see this grace and kindness that you've shown us in Jesus. And help us by your spirit to keep marveling at it and sharing this wonderful truth with others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Donnacony Parish podcast. We're happy for this teaching to be shared for the advancement of gospel work and to help make disciples. For information about Donnacony Parish, please check out our website, www.donnacony, D-O-N-A-G-H, C-L-O-N-E-Y-P-A-R-I-S-H dot co dot UK or find us on social media.